right, all right. Well, hey, thanks so much for being here. If this is your first time, we do want to welcome you and just honor you for being here. I know that it can be a little bit intimidating to try out a new place, so thanks for coming and being with us today. And today we're actually going to finish our Philippian series. So this was our summer sermon series. We we're supposed to finish it on Labor Day, but then baby Lily decided to come into the world on Friday, and Pastor Victor had to prepare a message in 48 hours. He did a great job. It seemed like he was preparing much longer than that, but man, he, he, he pulled it out. So, so thank God for that. And also, we uh, had a guest speaker a few weeks ago, Sam Johnson from Priority One. We raised $5,000 to build Bible schools around the world. We personally funded two dormitories, so praise God for that. And then last week, we had Anniversary Sunday, where we shared just the dream and the vision of Scent Church. So it's been about four, or it's been three weeks since we, no, it's been four weeks since we've been in Philippians. And to refresh your memory, last time we were in the book of Philippians, we were in chapter four, verse two through nine, and we talked about how Jesus wants to give us peace both in our relationships, so with one another, but also in our hearts. So he wants to give us peace and, and replace that with anxiety and division. Okay, so, so peace is what he wants for us. And now Paul is going to return to a theme that he talked about in the beginning of his letter. And he's going to thank the Philippians for partnering with him financially. Okay, so chapter 4, verse 10 through 23. Uh, we're going to finish this bad boy up. And then we have a new sermon series next week, so I'm excited for that. But it says this in verse 10. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, and you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So no church was doing kingdom builders at this point. They didn't know about it yet. In verse 16, just playing around. And even in Thessalonica, you sent, or sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus uh, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right, the sermon title today, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, it's not too early to take notes, come on somebody, it is, it is the secret, uh, the secret. All right, let's pray over this, and then we'll, we'll dive in. So Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word is living and active, and Lord, I pray that your word would come to life today. It would cut us to the heart in the best way possible, and call us out of where we're at, and call us into a new place. So God, I pray that you would have your way and that there be a demonstration, not of lofty words of speech or wisdom, but a demonstration of your spirit's power in this room. So God, we love you, we thank you, in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, so every Friday night at sundown to Saturday at sundown, uh, some of you know this, uh, my family practices the Sabbath. So that's our time to, to stop, worship, rest, and delight. We try to kind of orient our day around that. And one of our Sabbath rituals is getting ice cream after lunch. Okay, we typically go to like Chick-fil-A or, or somewhere with ice cream so we can get ice cream after lunch. And just a few weeks ago, we were having our Sabbath. But a few days before, we had already had ice cream. It was about two days before our Sabbath. So I was hoping that we wouldn't have to get ice cream this time. But we went to Dairy Queen. And you can't go to Dairy Queen without getting ice cream. So you know, we ended up there, don't know how. And we ended up getting ice cream the second time in three days. Don't judge us. But as soon as, okay, so then I thought that the kids would be so grateful, right? They got ice cream twice in three days. I thought that they would go off to their rooms after lunch and just like take a nice nap, not bother me for the rest of the day. No, I'm kidding. Instead, as soon as we walked into the door, we're taking our shoes off and Jane's like, Dad! And she doesn't give me a chance to respond. It's so, it's so frustrating. Dad, Dad, Dad. I'm like, okay, child, what do you want? What do you need? It must be important. What do you need, Janie? And she says, can I have a piece of candy? I'm like, kid. My mind was blown. I was like, you got an addiction. We'll get you set free at church. Like this kid was thinking about candy just minutes after having ice cream for the second time in three days. I couldn't help but laugh. It's funny, right? But 
I'll be honest with you, sometimes I get a little bit bummed out in these moments. I desperately want my kids to trust my care for them and be happy with what I give them. I want them to be content. And yet, it seems that no matter how much I give them, they always want more, (laughs) right? And the reality is I can't be too judgmental towards them, though, because I'm familiar with this lack of contentment. I'm familiar with this craving for more because it's in my heart, too. I struggle to be content. I think we all struggle with this to an extent. And what's really strange is those of us who, who have more are often the most discontented. It doesn't matter how much or how large our savings accounts are, how fancy our possessions are, how perfect the weather is, which, man, it's been good lately, or how much we achieve, we all struggle with feeling like we need something else to be content. Jim Carrey said this years ago, and it's, it's just stuck with me. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. So Jim Carrey, famous actor in The Mask and Yes Man, all the classics of the 90s and 2000s. Anyways, so contentment, It's hard to come by, even for those who seem to have everything, like Jim Carrey, right? And the good news, though, in the midst of this, is Paul's letter to the Philippians, it shows us that contentment is possible. There's a deep contentment, despite circumstances, that is possible. It's not completely elusive. It is possible. So, okay, so remember, Paul, he he writes from a prison cell. Okay, he's in prison, but somehow he oozes with joy and deep contentment as he does. He has learned to be content no matter what situation he faced. It says this in verse 11. It says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Okay, so the Greek word here, it means sufficient for oneself. It means strong enough or possessing enough uh, with no aid or support. Okay, so this word was popular among the Stoics Uh, the Stoic philosophers who thought that the highest level of nobility was to be independent of others and to not need anything from anybody. And they desired to be indifferent to both pleasure and pain. So the picture that came to mind when they used this word content was a country that doesn't need imports from other countries. Being content meant that you are self-sufficient. But that's not what Paul means here. He, or Paul was so dependent on God. He did not pretend to be self-sufficient. That's not what he's getting at. His contentment was not, or it was not rooted in being self-sufficient, but God-sufficient, right? He was sufficient in God no matter what he faced. And he wasn't content because he hadn't been through anything. It's easy to be like, I'm content if you haven't you know, been through hard stuff. But Paul, he, he faced some of the worst situations you could possibly face. It says this in 2 Corinthians. This is Paul describing the things he's been through. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. And three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was adrift at sea. So just wandering around for 24 hours on the sea, not sure where they're going. On frequent journeys, in, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship. Uh, through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, all these terrible things. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's like, you're part of the problem, Corinthians. So, so Paul, he faced some of the worst things a human being can face. And yet, in the midst of it, he learned to be content. This is quite the feat, right? Like, this is a big accomplishment. But the thing that's amazing is he was also content in the best stuff of life. It says this in verse 12 of our passage. It says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every, doesn't matter what the circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. So an important element of contentment uh, that's often overlooked is being content when you have everything, right? When you have a lot, when you're abounding, when we have a lot, it doesn't quench our thirst for more, but oftentimes it enhances it. And the test of being a truly content person is being content not just in poverty when you don't have it or don't have anything, but also in abundance. And in Gary Thomas's book, Authentic Faith, he talks about this time when he took his daughter to an amusement park. And with every ride, she got hungry for a greater thrill. 
right? She kept saying, what's next, what's next, what's next? I've experienced this myself at amusement parks. And, and this is what he said. He says, that's when I realized there's never enough excitement to quiet the human heart. So Paul, he figured out how to quiet his heart even when he had abundance. He learned to find his satisfaction not in the abundance, but in the God who gave the abundance, right? He found it in the giver, not the gift. How is he able to do this? Well, he tells us in verse uh, 13. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was content because of Jesus. He was so rooted in Jesus and his love for him that circumstances simply did not affect his joy. They did not affect his peace. His secret for contentment was not a change of circumstances. His secret was Christ, right? The secret to contentment is Jesus. Jesus is the secret to contentment. And when we have relationship with Jesus and when we know his great unending love for us. We can have contentment beyond the walls of this world. And when we're in poverty, Jesus is our portion. He's our supply. And we trust him to come through and to provide for our needs. We lean on him in those moments. And when we're in abundance, we quiet our hearts by looking to Jesus. Jesus is the secret to contentment in both the valleys and the mountains. We can do all things through Christ because he gives us strength. And this concept of doing all things through Christ who gives us strength, it can be taken out of context. In high school, I played football. I started on the offensive line. In my senior year, I wrote Philippians 4.13 on the bottom of my cleats, my orange and black cleats, Prairie Hawks, baby. I wrote Philippians 4.13, and to me, that meant I could do whatever I set my mind to. I could take down the biggest dude on the field. I could lift, like no matter how much weight it is, I can lift it in Christ. But sadly, I tore my MCL in one of the first practices. Not even in the game, right? Didn't even get to the game. Philippians 4.13. It took on a different meaning at that point. It wasn't about being able to smash guys who were twice my size. It was about being able to find contentment on the sidelines. And for Paul, this concept of Christ giving strength had little to do with having supernatural strength to, or to have a new personal best on the bench press. Right? It had more to do with, with being able to find contentment in Jesus no matter what he faced. And we find contentment, we find strength by rooting ourselves in Christ. We find our sustenance in him alone. Even with that said, right, that's true. Even with that said, God will often send real world help uh, to help us in unfortunate circumstances. And while he does want to give us contentment no matter what we're facing, he does adjust our circumstances at time. That's a reality. He does heal bodies. He does provide for financial needs. He does send help, right? He's not like, hey, just wallow in need. I'm never gonna give you anything or change your circumstance because you need to be content, right? He does sovereignly arrange things to help us in our unfortunate circumstances. And one of the primary ways he does this is through the body of Christ, through brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and the Philippians, they were used in Paul's life to adjust his circumstances. It says this in verse 10. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. And you were indeed concerned for me before, but you had no opportunity. In the Roman world, prisoners were responsible to provide for themselves. Okay, so Paul, he is on his own. He has to provide for himself and he was dependent on his friends to come through and care for his needs. But the problem was he hadn't heard from the Philippians in quite some time. So, so he had no idea how they were doing. He didn't know if they were still for him. Because oftentimes false teachers would come into these churches and try to turn them against Paul. Right? So he had no idea how they were doing. And then all of a sudden, Epap shows up. Right? He comes. And Epaphroditus, he, or when he came, it was great relief for Paul. Right? It, it says that or that when they revived their concern, that idea in the Greek, it's this image of a flower blooming again after a long winter, right? So, so just like a flower emerges after winter, the Philippians allowed their concern to grow and blossom again for Paul. And Paul is absolutely de or delighted that their concern for him bloomed again. And he rejoiced in the Lord, they have not forgotten about me. They still love me, they're for me, they're behind me, they are partners in the gospel in verses 14 through 18, he explains more of how they specifically showed their concern for him. 
It says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Okay, so when Paul first left the Philippians after starting that church, no church partnered with him financially. He had to completely provide for himself. Specifically, he made tents to provide for himself. Uh, But the Philippians had decided to come alongside Paul and help fund his mission. They wanted him to be able to focus more on the mission and less on making tents. And they supported him right away when he moved on to the Macedonian city of Thessalonica. And then they continued supporting him even after he left Macedonia. So Macedonia is the region that Philippi is in. And then later on, okay, so now we see Epaphroditus, he, he traveled a great distance and almost lost his physical life to bring Paul uh, more financial support. Okay, so while Paul makes clear, he, he says, I find my contentment in Jesus alone. While he makes that clear, he's greatly encouraged by the generosity of the Philippians. It's as if he's saying, I don't need your money, Philippians. I'm content in Jesus alone, but thank you for your money. I appreciate that. And this shows us an important principle. For whatever reason, Jesus has decided to not just do things on his own, but to work through human beings. Specifically here, we see that Jesus provides for the mission of God through the family of God. Okay, so Jesus, he could miraculously show up to people in unreached nations, unreached communities, and just share the gospel himself. He did that with the apostle Paul. He just showed up to him. He could do that, but instead, he chooses to use gospel workers. He, he chooses to use missionaries and church planters and pastors and people in the marketplace to go and bring the gospel to new communities. Jesus could also make money fall from the sky, and he could make financial partners unnecessary. Missionaries just walking around with a cloud with money falling on them. But instead, he uses the church to fund his mission. And for whatever reason, Jesus uses human beings to accomplish his mission on the earth. I listened to one sermon from Pastor John Tyson a couple weeks ago when I was originally preparing for this sermon before Lily was born. And he talked about this concept of gospel patrons. And it's, it, it's from a book by the same name, this book here, gospel, or gospel Patrons. And he made the point that anything great that happens in the world for the kingdom has a funder behind it. Okay, so here's just one story. I, I put it on the screen so you can follow along. So, so uh, John Reinhardt says, for example, in the 1500s, an Englishman named William Tyndale wanted to translate the Bible from, from the original Greek and Hebrew into English. And for, for 1,000 years, the Bible had been locked in Latin, but most Englishmen couldn't read Latin and therefore did not know the Bible. So Tyndale wanted to change that. The problem was Bible translation was illegal. You could be killed for translating the Bible. Okay, but God intervened through a godly businessman named Humphrey Monmouth, and he protected, or protected uh, Tyndale. He provided for him, and he even used his merchant ships to smuggle the first English New Testaments throughout England. And very few people have heard of Monmouth, but his partnership with Tyndale changed the world. Every great move of God has a funder behind it. And the Philippians were funders for the move of God that Paul led. Even Jesus was funded in his mission. Get this, the son of God, right? The one who spun the galaxies into existence. He was funded as he saved the world. He was funded by gospel patrons and specifically a few rich ladies. It says this in Luke 8. It says, soon afterwards, he went on throughout the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him and also came some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. God used the most unlikely people to be gospel patrons for Jesus. In the book of Acts, Barnabas was a gospel patron. He sold all his stuff and gave his money for the advancement of the mission of God. And we see in, in Philippians that that Lydia used her house to host the church, right? She's a, a rich lady that God used to host the church. And the church followed her in her example by funding Paul in his mission. Okay, so Sent Church, we have been funded by gospel patrons. If you're enjoying anything that happens here, maybe you're not, don't tell us if you're not. But if you're enjoying Sent Church at all, it's all thanks to churches 
and people who believed in this thing before it even existed, right? We were able to do what we needed to do to have portable church in Hilton Garden Inn because the church wrote us a $50,000 check right in the middle of COVID when churches weren't having services. They sent us a $50,000 check. Other churches gave us money to buy a truck and a trailer. You see the truck and trailer out there? Other churches bought that, and now Chi Alpha uses that for their mission. And the reason we're... And the reason we were able to buy this building is the same church who gave us a $50,000 check to get started portably just a few months later gave us a $135,000 check to put a down payment on this building. And they've continued to send us over $2,000 a month since we've started. I think it's ending soon because we're becoming big boys and girls. So that's kind of sad. But uh, I've been grateful for it so far. And this is not to mention all the other countless people and churches who have supported us. Currently, there's at least a dozen active supporters of Scent Church that, that give us money each month. All right, this thing exists because of gospel patrons. And Paul is calling us to walk in the spirit of the Philippians, in the spirit of those who supported us. We're called to be gospel patrons, simply put. Ever since we planted this church, I've been convinced that Jesus wants us to be gospel patrons. There's been times... I'm so wrestling with this with the Lord. I'm like, I don't know, God, if that's for us. But there's been times where I felt like God has said, we're going to give more money away than the church gave us in total in terms of like, they've given millions of dollars away, right? And we're going to give even more than that in our lifetime as church. Now, it's not about competition, but I'm going to go for it. God wants us to fund missionaries. He wants us to fund church planters. He wants us to fund Chi Alpha missionaries. I want our Chi Alpha missionaries not to need other churches because we're funding them. Right, And just last month, Sam Johnson, he, he shared with us, and we were able to send him home with a $5,000 check to build Bible schools, as I said earlier. Right? And the only way that can happen is if churches like us get behind them. As we continue to grow here locally, and as we look towards the future, God is going to call us into this. I believe God is going to call people into the church that can write $500,000 checks, like personally. That's been something he's put on my heart recently. There's gonna be people who come to the church who can write those kinds of checks because I believe we're gonna be a church that can be trusted with those kinds of checks. I wanna see the mission of God funded. I'm dreaming big here. Is that okay with you this morning? Some of you are like, $500,000? Yeah, that's what I'm praying for. And my prayer is that, uh, that what the church in Des Moines did for us, we can do for countless other church planters and missionaries. I wanna pour it all out for gospel advancement. I don't want to be like, how big can we get our savings accounts in church? We need to have a safety net and all that, but I don't want that to be our goal. How, how can we protect ourselves? Instead, I want to lay it all on the line for gospel advancement around the world. And when we step into this, something beautiful is going to happen. It says this in verse 18. It says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. All right, so when we answer this call, we get to help gospel workers be well supplied, right? We get to be encouraging. And this is an honor, right? This is an honor. This is mission critical. Gospel workers who are, are on the front lines of planting the church in new places, they face an immense amount of spiritual warfare. I know this from experience. When we decided, literally the week we decided to plant St. Church, all of a sudden we were being assaulted by the gates of hell. It was like overnight something turned. They are being assaulted and we need to do whatever we can to support them and to lift them up. But not just that, when we partner with, okay, so we're encouraging to them, that's the first thing that happens. But also what happens is when we partner with our gospel partners, what happens is we worship Jesus through our giving. Paul says that our gifts are like a pleasing smell to Christ, like Old Testament offerings were. We got this like, like this fall scent going on in our house right now and those Glade plugins. Oh man, it smells like fall. It's like bonfire, Starbucks drinks. Like it smells so good in there, right? So, or so when we give, we are like bringing a pleasing smell of worship to Jesus' nostrils. I'm all for worshiping in song. I'm all for it. You know that. I get a little crazy up here. I, I like to worship Jesus. But some of the best worship we can bring God is our financial giving. And why is that? Because our treasure, or because where our treasure is, there our heart is also. So when we give to him, we're giving God our heart. Okay, when I was in Bible college, there was this time where we were having chapel and the Holy Spirit was just moving. Like God was doing his thing. We're all like a bunch of kids. You know, well, not kids, we're in our 20s. We're all like going after it. And after that powerful time of worship, our elder statesman, our president, who was probably in his 70s at that point, he, he comes up and he says this. 
exuberant worship without sacrificial giving is an inconsistency. I'm like, dang, Dr. Gordon Anderson, you're coming at me hard today. I'm a broke college kid. What you talking about? I can't sacrifice. There's nothing to sacrifice at this point. This struck me to the heart, and it stuck with me. I still got it. It was 10 years ago, and I wrote it down this week in my notes. It's been sticking with me for 10 years, ringing in my ears. Exuberant worship without sacrificial giving is an inconsistency, right? The churches that are the most passionate in worship, they better be the best giving churches out there. I don't want to say a bunch of things and not mean it. I want to put my money where my mouth is. If I can sing to him in song, I can give sacrificially to Jesus, All right, so here's the thing. When we gave to Priority One last month, it was like an odor coming up to Jesus, right? It was an acceptable offering of worship. We blessed the socks off of God when we did that. For some of you, you gave sacrificially when you gave to that. And and, and maybe it put you in a hard spot. That brought blessing to God. It blessed his heart. When we give to the mission of God, we bless God. Our generosity brings him so much joy. Right, because one, we're making a sacrifice. Sacrifice is love, right? right, right. We're making a sacrifice to him, but also we're trusting him, right? He's like, my kids trust me. My kids actually trust me. They're giving to me. If we want to be holistic worshipers of Jesus, we gotta step into this. And Paul says it this way in, in 2 Corinthians. He says, but since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel and the grace of giving. This is why I have to talk about giving, guys. It's not like, oh, giving's over here, that's untouchable, that's weird, people feel weird about talking about money. No, 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 it's right here with all the other important spiritual principles. It's right here with the other disciplines. Giving is so important. When we give to the mission of God, we bless God. But that's not it, that's not all. It says this in verse 17, it says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Okay, so he He tells them that he appreciates their gift, but then he wants them to understand that their giving, it actually benefits them more than it does him. So Paul, he's telling the Philippians, he's saying, hey, hey, when you give, there's a fruit, there's a spiritual fruit that increases to your credit. There is blessing involved with it. It sounds like something I say all the time. When we ask you to give to kingdom builders, when we ask you to tithe, when we ask you to be faithful with that, we're not asking because we want something from you. We're asking because we want something for you. I have personally experienced the blessings of tithing faithfully first, first thing I do, tithe, and then giving above and beyond. I tell you, every time, every time I take a step of faith with with a sacrificial gift, it seems like God comes back to me and blesses me, whether it be financially or some other way, but he blesses me. All right, so here's the thing. When we give to the mission of God, God blesses us. And when we give, there's a fruit that increases to our credit. And the word fruit refers to advantage or gain or profit. So Paul, he's speaking in the language of an investment manager here. When we give, we increase our profits. We gain compound interest in our spiritual accounts, right? We're gaining compound interest as we do this. And Jesus said something similar. He said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself Treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, nor where thieves do not break in or steal. When we give, we store up treasure in heaven. And the exact nature of the fruit that, that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, we don't know for sure what that exact nature of that fruit is. But just after telling the Philippians that there's a fruit increasing to their credit and that their giving was worshiped to God, he then says this in verse 19, which is just so encouraging. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours, every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. As the Philippians brought their finances under the lordship of Jesus Christ, Paul was confident that Jesus would provide for them. He would bless them. And the same applies to us. Hear me this morning. We need to guard against the theology that says you give to get. Right? We need to guard against the theology that says if you give, you'll be healthy and wealthy. Right? We need to guard against the prosperity gospel. That's what that's called. Right? We're not guaranteed to get something back when we give. It's not like, hey, hey, when you give to Sent Church, God's just gonna give you everything you ever want. That's not how it works. However, scripture is abundantly clear. God blesses finances that are surrendered and submitted to him. Hear me this morning. God blesses finances that are surrendered and submitted to him just like in every other area of life. 
Every other area, when you bring it under the lordship of Jesus, he blesses it, right? You bring your relationships under the lordship of Jesus. You bring your time, everything. If you bring it under the lordship of Jesus, he's going to bless it. That's, that's in God's nature to bless. It says this in, in Proverbs 3. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. So the first of all your produce, right? Bring your, your apples and your berries and everything first. Then your barns will be filled with uh, plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine, right? When we honor the Lord by giving to him First, I'm gonna keep saying that this morning. First, not leftovers. First, the Lord blesses us. In Malachi 3.10, it says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not, are you listening this morning? If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I want the windows of heaven open over my family. right? I want the windows of heaven open open over this church. I want the windows of heaven open. And God says right here, when you bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and put me to the test, I will do this. Right, when we tithe, when we make sure that there's food in God's house or for us in the New Testament or the New Covenant, when we take care of the local church, he opens the windows of heaven and pours down blessing. That is such a promise. Giving, and more specifically tithing, is the one area that God asks us, it's the one area he says, test me in this. Try it out and see what happens. He will bless our finances as we give. If he can trust us with a little, he's gonna wanna trust us with more. He doesn't just bless our finances, though, when we give. He blesses us also with maturity, spiritual growth into Christ-likeness. When we give faithfully, our capacity to love increases. Our heart changes, and we become more like Jesus. Right, there's, a, there's a spiritual fruit that's added to our account. Our treasure is truly where our hearts are. And when we give our treasure to God, it brings our hearts into greater alignment with him and it allows him to do work. Okay, many of us have been around the church for some time and we understand these principles of giving. We, we get this in our heads. And yet, for many of us, we still struggle to surrender our finances to God. And I'm on a journey too, right? We're all on a journey. There's no judgment here. But, but for many of us, we struggle to surrender our finances to God. We struggle to be like the Philippians who are eager to fund the mission of God. And, and, and why is that? Why do you struggle with that? Why do I struggle with that? Well, some of you would say that you struggle because you don't have enough money, right? You don't have enough of your own money. And you're afraid that you won't have enough if you give. I just don't have enough to give. And you think that the or you think that the solution to your lack of generosity is more money. But the problem with this is Jesus said that those who are faithful in the little are those who will be faithful with a lot. And those who are dishonest in a little, she's gonna say there, dishonest in a little will also be dishonest with a lot. It says that in Luke 16.10. If you're not faithful with your finances when you don't have a lot, you won't be able to be faithful when you do have a lot. Okay, so hear me. If you won't tie 10 bucks when you make 100 bucks, what makes you think you're gonna give $1,000 when you make $10,000? There's no way. There's no way you're writing a check for $1,000 if you can't give 10 bucks in the offering. There's no way. You gotta be faithful in the small to be able to be faithful in a lot. More money does not mean you'll be more generous. Oftentimes, actually, the wealthiest people are the least generous by far. It's not even close. On top of that, true generosity is not about how much you give. It's not about an amount. It's about how much you keep, right? Proportion, how much you keep. It's not about giving out of your abundance. Like, oh, I have enough, so then I'm gonna give a little, yeah, whatever, I don't need that, right? I've already spent all the money on the things I want. My 18 coffee runs, I'm looking at myself, <laughs> right? I've already, get, I've already done everything I wanna do. No, it's giving out of your lack and then trusting God. It's giving when you don't think you have extra. That's true generosity. True generosity is giving when it hurts. When's the last time you gave when it hurt? Like when's the last time you gave and it was a sacrifice for you and you had to say no to something? Okay, the secret to generosity is not having a lot of money. Instead, the secret is found in the Apostle Paul's life. Paul was the prototype of generosity. And I'm not even really talking about money with Paul. I'm talking about the fact that he gave up his whole life for the gospel. He was beat silly. He was shipwrecked at sea. He was saddled with anxiety for all the churches. I have anxiety for one church, and I'm getting gray hair, somebody, right? But pray for me. I'm going to be like 35, look like I'm 80 or something, all right? Anyways, 
Paul eventually gave up his physical life for Jesus. He laid down his life for Jesus. He gave everything. Why did Paul do this? Well, it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. He did this because he found his contentment, his security, and his worth in one place, in Jesus. He didn't need anything from this world to be content. He was a citizen of heaven for heaven's sake. Jesus was his master. Jesus was his true love. No money, comfort, or anything from this world could fill that spot. Jesus was his love. He was so in love with Jesus that he couldn't help but lay it all down at his feet. That's why the early church, they brought everything to the apostles' feet. Because they were just ridiculously in love with Jesus. They're like, we can't help it. We're bringing everything. Give it to God. Okay, so if you're here this morning and you're struggling to give, not just financially, right? It's not just about finances, but, but time and your heart and your love and your attention. The answer is not more of any of these things. Here's the thing. You don't need more of anything in this world to become a generous person. You need more Jesus. You need to be content in him so that you can freely give out of that. Jesus is not only the secret to contentment, he's the secret to generosity. We can only give freely when we root ourselves in the king, in the king who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, on the king who looks at the whole earth and says, it's mine. When we root ourselves in him, then we'll be able to give, right? He's our satisfaction. He's our worth. He's our prize. We find our life in Jesus, both in poverty and in riches, we'll be able to be generous. And when we don't have a lot, we'll faithfully give out of what we do have, right? Not out of what we don't have, but out of what we do have, trusting Jesus to provide for our needs. And when we do have a lot, we'll be content with what we have, we'll live simply, and view our wealth uh, not as an opportunity for more stuff, for more comfort, but as a tool to fund the mission of God. I want God to give me more money because I wanna use it for the mission of God. I, I, I want to be that kind of person that God can trust with more because I want to be someone who, who says, I'm not going to use it for myself. I'm going to use it for the mission of God. If you give it to me, these are faithful hands. These are faithful hands who, who will put it in the right places. Guys, let's be those kinds of people. When we get more, we say, hey, this is a tool. This is not a, a something to just sit in. It's a tool. Okay, Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. There's that contentment word again. Uh, for, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Right? It's not bad to enjoy stuff. Right? Like some of you like, can I not have any fun? You can have some fun. He provides stuff for you to enjoy. Right? It's okay to, to enjoy life. But also, you are to do good, and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. It's not a sin to have money. It's not a sin to be wealthy. Again, I pray that God would bring wealthy people into this church. I pray that he would bless you financially. But it is a sin to love money. It is a sin to put your hope in riches. And people who have a lot of money and who don't have a lot of money do this. It's a sin, and again, poor and rich do this. It's a sin to fail to use what God blesses you with to be a blessing to others. That is a sin. It's a grievous sin before a holy God. And we need, in our generation, we need to be set free from the love of money. And we need to find our contentment in Jesus. Jesus is our defender. He's our provider. He's our hope. Jehovah Jireh. He's our portion. He's our satisfaction. He takes care of us, just as Paul says in verse 19. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. You didn't expect to get a sermon on money today, did you? You're like, What's well, it's Philippians. I didn't choose it. It's just here, right? I pray that the Lord, I pray that you let the Lord get a hold of your heart in the area of finances. Don't keep them out of it. Don't keep them out of it. For so many of us, we're like, hey, you can have everything else, but this, I'm, I'm gonna keep that for myself, right? I, I, I gotta manage my finances. No, bring everything 
under the lordship of Jesus and he will take care of you. He will bless you. All right, so the main idea this morning is Jesus, he's the secret to both contentment and generosity. And they're connected, right? When you're content, you can be generous. They're connected and Jesus is the secret. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You need more Jesus, right? We need more Jesus. He is the answer. He's the secret for everything, right? He's the secret. A couple months ago, a friend gave me two good-sized bills. I was like, wow, these are, these are nice bills. Thank you, friend. And I was excited to use something or to use it on something for myself. But I'm like, okay. I set it on my desk. I kind of had them laid out like, over here, it's like an L-shaped desk. It's over here in the corner. It's like, I'm like looking at it every morning. Like, hey, what am I going to use that for? Might get a couple books. Might, you know, go out to eat at a fancy place. I don't know. What am I going to use it for? But I was excited for it. And it was VBS week. And it was like the last day. And, and we're supposed to bring an offering. And, and me and Emily don't carry cash. So, so we're trying to find something to put in our kids' buddy barrels. We have two that have the barrels, right? We put money in there every month to give to missions. And because we don't carry cash, I'm like, crap, right? I'm not supposed to say crap. Sorry. Shoot. Anyways. So, sorry. So anyways, I'm like, I'm like, we don't have any cash. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit like speaks to me and says, you do have cash. It's just a little bit more cash than what you want to have for this particular thing. I'm like, okay. So I go and I grab one of the bills. I'm like, okay, one bill is perfect. That's still a lot more probably than what, you know, like, or a lot more than what's expected. So I drop it in one of the barrels. I'm like, okay. But it looked weird. There's two barrels sitting there on our counter and there's like one that has a big bill in it and another one has nothing in it. I'm like, so Abram just doesn't get to give anything. And then I feel like the Holy Spirit says, you're supposed to get both bills in knucklehead. So I'm like, that's why I gave you two. I'm like, fine. So I go, I grab the other bill, put it in there. And Emily's just like this in the kitchen, like, good job, Daniel. Cause she's way more generous than I am. I'm like the one that's like, okay, we gotta be careful here. She's like, way to go. Hey, hey, welcome to my level. I would have done that myself. Fine, welcome. <laughs> Come up high with me. I'm like, yes, brownie points for for Emily. But anyways, so we do that. It's great. And then uh, the next week, it's crazy. This doesn't happen all the time, right? You might think, oh, this happens a lot for pastors. No, it doesn't happen a lot. We had a friend reach out and say that he wanted to start giving us a gift monthly. Just randomly, right? Okay. And this friend was actually, uh, or the pastor who led my parents to Jesus, like 20, would have been 27 years ago now, led him to Jesus. Okay. And he just said, I just felt I had to give this to you. I'm like, oh, that's, that's crazy. I'm like, God is Wow, because in two months, it was already like far more than what we gave. So God gave it all back to us. I'm telling you, this stuff happens all the time. And, and that's an amazing story in and of itself. But, uh, but then a couple weeks ago, we learned that he was going to die and only had a few days left to live. And he posted on Facebook that he was headed to hospice and he was excited to be with Jesus. He, he has personally been through health struggles for like 20 years. He was ready uh, to be with Jesus. And just after posting this, he sends Emily another monthly gift through PayPal. So he posts that, I'm gonna die, and then he sends money to Emily. And we're just looking at each other like, who is this man? Right, this man is literally headed to his deathbed. And he was concerned about giving. Our minds were like, just blown in that moment. Boy, did this man love Jesus. All right, the only way you're, you're thinking about giving when you're about to die is if you love Jesus. Right, when you're dying, that's probably an okay time to be selfish. But this man was driven by something otherworldly. He had the love of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit in his heart. I want that love in my heart. Please, Lord, please give me that kind of love. Doug, that's his name, his final act of generosity, it shows us an important principle. So when you're about to die, the things that matter, matter. All right, the things that matter, matter. And the amount of possessions you have don't matter. And the things you did for yourself don't matter. The pleasures of this world don't matter. Eternal things matter. Treasure in heaven matters. And leaving a better inheritance to the next generation, that matters. As he was headed to hospice, his mind was fixated on what he knew to be important. He was going out swinging. He was going out faithful. He was going out generous. As he took his final breath, he wanted, or his final breath, he, he wanted his son in the faith to know that he had his back. Or should I say sons in the faith, because he did the same thing for Derek and Taylor. He wanted his sons in the faith to know that he had our backs. And just a couple days after he sent, after he sent that money over in PayPal, he took his last breath. And now he's with Jesus. 
the love of Jesus messed this man up. The love of Jesus drove him to say yes to full-time ministry. And the love of Jesus drove him to minister to my difficult parents at the time. Not anymore, right? At the time. And be patient with them in the early days of their faith. And the love of Jesus drove him to support Emily and I as we went to Bible school back in 2013, didn't have any money. He would send us money back then. And the love of Jesus drove him to support Chi Alpha at UNI and Sent Church, right? He's one of those, those 12 partners. He also supported Sent Church. And, and, and he would pray and encourage us. This is what drove him to do that. And the love of Jesus drove him to make one of his final acts, two PayPal transfers to sons in the faith. The love of Jesus gave him contentment both in life and in death. Jesus is the secret. He's the secret to living the life of contentment and generosity that you were born to live. And when you receive his love, everything changes. Everything changes. All right, so with that in mind, I'd be remiss if I didn't end by talking about the love of Jesus. Jesus' love is beyond the walls of this world. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Right? The scripture tells us that each of us were born sinful and separated from God. Because of our sin, we were headed to hell. However, God did not leave us that way. Right? At the same time, you were rebellious, ungrateful, wanting a piece of candy after getting ice cream. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of my sin, Jesus came running after us. Even when we play hard to get, he kept pursuing us. Okay, during Reckless Love this morning, I felt like I got a word for somebody in this room. There's some of you who, who you know that, that Jesus, he loves you, you know that in your mind, and you understand that he's coming after you, but you play hard to get with him. I remember there were girls in high school I liked, I'd try, and nothing worked, they're playing hard to get. Don't play hard to get with Jesus, right? Don't play, like answer the call of salvation, answer the call of life while it's possible, because there will be a day when you take your final breath and it won't be possible anymore. Don't play hard to get with Jesus. Don't play hard to get, right? Just open your arms up and say, Jesus, I want you. I want you just as much as you want me. Turn and run to him. Don't just make him run after you. Run to him. Say, Jesus, I want you too. He's looking for people who, who say, I want you too, right? So Jesus, he, he came to this life, or he came to this earth. He, he, he lived the perfect life that each of us were supposed to live but couldn't. He died on the cross to pay for our sins, and he rose from the grave to, to overthrow death and sin once and for all. Right, while we weren't deserving of anything, Jesus gave everything. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, not when we figured it out or went to church enough or cleaned it up, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for us when we deserved it. He died for us at the same time that each of us were in our junk and despair. That's when he died for us. In 2 Corinthians 8, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Even though Jesus had the riches of heaven, he gave all of that up so that you could be rescued from your spiritual poverty and have the riches of heaven. If you want to receive this this morning, if you want forgiveness and eternal life, all you have to do is trust in Jesus. Turn from your ways. Give up your life. And when you do this, a great exchange happens. A great exchange happens. He takes on your sin and you get his life. And as you receive his life, the contentment that Paul had will be possible for you in both the valleys and the pits of life and on the mountaintops. And as you have this contentment, you'll be able to be generous and be a blessing to the world. You'll be generous with your time and your money and your talents. You'll be generous with your attention. You'll be generous with your heart. If you're struggling to be generous or content this morning, the call is to receive the love of God. That's the call. Let him move in you. Give him your heart. Let him move. Stop blocking him out. Let him tell you how, or how much he loves you this morning. And then as you receive that love, that's ridiculous, that doesn't make any sense. As you receive that, do something about it. Love requires a response. Exuberant praise without sacrificial giving is a contradiction. And the same applies to every other area of life. Getting the love of Jesus, receiving the love of Jesus, but not giving it away is a contradiction. Begin to test God in generosity. Take a step of faith today. Ask him what he would have you do and do it. Let's go all in. Let's stand all across this room. All right, so I'm gonna give you a couple ways to respond this morning. Three ways to respond. The way I wanna do it 
is I'm going to have every head bowed, every eye closed. So you can go ahead and do that. So I'll just kind of walk you through. The first one is this, okay? So the way we do this at Sunday is we just kind of raise our hands and, hey, hey, that speaks to me. That's me. I want to respond in that way. It's just a way to signal to God, hey, hey, I want to respond in that way. So the first is this. If you're here and you haven't been walking in right relationship with God, maybe you've never been in relationship with Jesus or maybe uh, you once were and then you walked away, but today you want to stop playing hard to get, so to speak, and receive his love. You want to come to faith in Christ or recommit yourself. I just want to give you a chance to do that, to get right with him. So I'm going to count to three. And when I do, slip up your hand and say, hey, I want to get right with Jesus. I, I, I want to give my heart to him, give my life to him. So one, two, three, slip up all across this room. See that hand? Is there anyone else this morning? Is there anyone else? All right, go ahead, put your hands down. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, you pray in your heart. In church, let's pray with them, all right? So, Lord, right now we come. For those of us who, who want to put our faith in you this morning, we just, we, or just say we trust you, Jesus. We give you our life. We give you our hearts. We give you our concerns. And, Lord, we turn from our ways. We turn from our sin. And, God, we receive eternal life back from you. And, God, I pray right now that you'd make new creations all across this room, that your Holy Spirit would come and dwell on the inside of our hearts and that we would be sons and daughters of God. We thank you that, that to, who, or to whoever you give the right to, they can become a children of God and, or a child of God. And through the cross, you make it possible for us to be a child of God. So God, I thank you for that this morning. Thank you for welcoming sons and daughters into your family this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Can we give God praise all across the room? Come on, people coming home to Jesus, come on. Come on, that's what it's all about. Come on. All right, come on, are you ready? Come on, somebody. People giving their lives to Christ. That's what it's all about, right? All right, two more ways to respond. Go back down. You close your head, or close your eyes, bow your head. So here's the two other ways to respond. So, uh, so the other way is this. If you need contentment this morning, can you slip up your hand right now just boldly? Just Like you just need contentment. You're struggling, you're discontented right now. You're like, Lord, give me contentment. I see some hands going up. Like, Lord, I need contentment. I just need to find my peace in you, my joy in you. Tons of hands going up. I'm just gonna pray and you pray in your heart. So Lord, right now, for those who, who need contentment, come in, do what only you can do, do an inward work. And Lord, help us to find our peace, our joy and our contentment in you alone. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. All right, last way to respond is if you wanna be generous, you're like, I've struggled to be generous in the past, but I want to grow in this. I wanna be more generous. Can you boldly slip up your hands right now to heaven and say, I wanna be a generous person. I, I wanna be generous. Right, there's hands going up all across this room. I wanna be generous, Lord. Help, help me to be a blessing to others. Okay, I'm gonna pray for us. Lord, help us in this room to be a blessing to others. God, help us to be a generous church, like so generous. Lord, like we're so just free in you. We're just free to give you whatever you ask us to give. We listen to you and then do what you tell us to do. Lord, help us. Help us not to cling to riches. Help us not to cling to ourselves, but, but to cling to you and be generous as we do. God, we love you. We thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, and amen, and amen. All right, we're gonna uh, just end here by, by having a time to respond to God. So the altars are open. If you want to come get along with God, also prayer team's available up here. Just a wonderful couple up here ready to pray with you. So if you need personal prayer, come on up and pray and let's worship.